We are in John chapter 11 tonight. And if you are new with us, new to the story, welcome. (coughs) We are talking about the story of Jesus doing the miracle and raising Lazarus from the dead. And we're picking it up pretty much in the middle of the story. (coughs) Last week, Jesus let Lazarus die. He let him die. And that is hard for us to hear until you see what happens this week. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let's talk about some of what had happened here. (coughs) They had been there for the final moments. They had seen Lazarus get sicker and sicker and sicker. They had likely seen him take his last breath. And in those moments of despair, they would have wondered many, many times, why Jesus, why? Why did you delay? Why did you wait? And then here in verse 21, (coughs) we see that come out of Martha's mouth. And, And I love, love this verse and the next one because... They give us such a great picture of where Martha's at and where so many of us are when grief falls upon us. And I think that's actually our first principle tonight, that in situations of grief, we should be both honest and reverent. Honesty and reverence. And it's interesting because some people are really good at one or the other, but sometimes not so good at both. And Martha keeps it between the white lines here, I believe. I think she shares her heart. She speaks from a place of deep and intense grief. But she also remembers that it is Jesus to whom she is speaking. We felt like this at different times in our lives. Perhaps you've asked questions like this. God, where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when my spouse walked out on me? Where were you... When my sister was raped. These are the questions, the heavy questions of life. And we need to be honest about them. And we need to feel the weight of them. And at the same time, when we speak to God about them, we need to remember that he is indeed God. And Martha gives us such a great example of that, holding those two things in tension. We also talked last week about feelings and about how we need to feel our feelings, but they don't need to get the best of us. They don't need to pilot our ship. We need to let the truth shape our feelings instead of our feelings shape our view of the truth. Martha embodies that for us here, and you'll see her confession again in just a few moments and see that she really gets this right. But let's wrestle here just for a couple of awkward moments with ourselves as we think about this section of the text. Honesty and reverence. If you think about your own experience when something 
doesn't go the way that you want it to do, when, when God allows something that you don't like, that you didn't ask for, that you prayed against and it still happens, are you honest with the Lord in those moments? Are you also reverent before the Lord in those moments? My guess is, as we're talking about this tonight, all of us have some growth, some work to do, some work for the Spirit to do in us, on both of those issues. Some of us need to be more honest. We need to push past the spiritual stiff upper lip, if you will, that we might have been raised or even taught to embody. And others might need to take a step back and remember, hey, we're talking to God here, even in the midst of our grief. But one thing that's also very helpful is the book of Psalms on this very issue. If you look through the type of anguish that David pours out before the Lord. If you look at, we mentioned this last week, at the story of Habakkuk and how God leads him <coughs> and the direction that he goes. Both of those two data points provide us other helpful examples along with this of Martha to help us see the tension of both honesty and reverence when we find ourselves in Lazarus has died kind of situations. So as we think about that this week, as we <coughs> discuss that this week in community group, let's let the Lord be at work within us in that way. Now, verse 23, <coughs> Jesus, in response to what she says, says to her, your brother <coughs> will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what is happening here is that this gives evidence that Martha indeed knew her Old Testament. She knew that this world was not all there is. She knew that <coughs> Lazarus would indeed rise again in the resurrection of the dead, <coughs> but she did not understand what Jesus was saying. He was saying to her, he's going to rise again in just a few minutes. Hang in there. But before he does that, he says this, Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, this is the big idea in this passage. It's that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Can you say that with me? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I think in summary, if you really had to boil down why did he let Lazarus die, this is why. Because there was a greater grief at work than simply Lazarus passing away. The greater grief would have been if this truth had not been heralded the way that it was. This is the hope of Lazarus. This is the hope of Mary and Martha and all of the mourners. <coughs> this is the hope of every Christian. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the textual way that this is put together here is of significance as well. Jesus didn't just say, I can resurrect people and I have life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He was anchoring her hope not simply in what he was going to do for her, 
what he was going to do for Lazarus, what he was going to do for the sister, he was anchoring her hope in the reality of who he is. He doesn't just perform resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life. So our hope is not simply in an activity, not simply in an event. It is in a person. And friends, the implications for this are significant. Implications that Jesus can indeed be trusted because he's not just a savior that we would go visit his tomb and put flowers there because he's still in there. We would go visit his tomb and celebrate that he's not in there. That he himself is the resurrection and the life. The implication for us, if we are here tonight, maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're just checking Christianity out. And we are so thankful that you are here. You are welcome here anytime when we get together and talk about Jesus and worship Jesus. We welcome your questions. And one of the things that we're going to tell you time and time and time again is that Jesus is indeed alive. If he wasn't, this is not what I'd be doing for a living. I wouldn't ask all of you to show up here on Sunday night. We'd be completely wasting our time. But because Jesus is indeed alive, there is no better way that we could spend our time. He is the resurrection and the life. His promises are true. His presence among us is real. The wisdom that he gives is helpful to us. He gives us purpose and meaning. And the question we need to ask ourselves here is, is this experientially true in your life? Not just do you know Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but have you experienced it? Have you come to the place where you've turned aside from trying to save yourself and you have trusted in Christ alone for salvation? Has he spiritually brought you back to life, so to speak? If you're not sure or you know the answer is no, then friends, you have come to the right place tonight. Because Jesus that is alive and telling of his life in this passage is speaking his life to you tonight. Just like he's about to call Lazarus out of this tomb, he's calling you out of your death, your death, your deadness and your trespasses and sins. And he is offering you the same life that he is going to offer Lazarus. So listen, hear, and watch what happens. <laughs> now look at verse 27. Because even in the midst of her anguish, Martha continues to tell the truth. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. The son of God who is coming into the world. And in so saying that, Martha gives us a wonderful example of faith and faithfulness in the midst of significant loss. Friends, this is important to understand because so many people in our lives, in our day and age, when their proverbial Lazarus dies, this is not what happens. They question God and they walk away. Some never to return. And Martha gives us the exact opposite answer. She confesses exactly who Jesus is. Her confession could have been just as good as Peter's. And the way that she is framed here for us in this way as an example is one that we need to encourage ourselves with. 
Now, the point of this passage is not, hey, go be like Martha. It's that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But at the same time, when we catch somebody doing good, we ought to go and do likewise. And this is one of those examples, particularly those of us who might have daughters. Encourage your daughter. Look at what Martha did. She was honest. She spoke with respect and reverence, and she confessed the truth about Jesus. This is a good example for all of us. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and she called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Mary and Martha had met him. So they were on the outskirts of town, it seems. But when the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, I think if we get below the surface of the narrative here, this is going to mean even more to you. And what I mean by that is to understand the depth of despair that this would have been for them. I think every one of us in this room have probably been to someone's house after someone had passed away. There's often kind of a mix of grief, but there's also some laughter and somebody's telling a story and laughing about grand whoever or whatever. I'm not sure that that would have been the case at this point with these folks. The way this culture mourned was significant. The scene there would have been very bleak, would have been a traditional funeral, most likely the mourners who had shown up, people that knew them, perhaps people who didn't know them. They were sitting on the floor or low stools that they had brought. (coughs) All the furniture had been moved to the side. And after the sisters returned from the grave where he had been buried, they ate a traditional meal. There was even certain types of food that they would eat that symbolized things. It was made of lentils. Boiled, boiled eggs and round loaves of bread, which by their shape symbolized that life was rolling on into eternity. And since they had had that feast, probably hadn't eaten much since then. In addition, Mary, Martha as well, was probably disheveled in appearance because the mourners were committed to not washing themselves or even wearing sandals. So it's dark. It's dirty. They've had food. That doesn't sound very appetizing to me. And then on top of that, this had been four days. I didn't mention that at the front, but let me talk about it now. Why would Jesus wait four days? Well, some of it we know because of this proclamation that needs to be made. Some of it we won't know because we can't fully know the mind of God. But part of the reason he waited four days is because now it was 100% certain beyond any shadow of doubt, that Lazarus was dead. He's what my grandma might have called dead debt. His body had begun to decompose even with the spices and all that would have been done. (coughs) It would have been a rough scene. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So again, the same refrain. Honesty, reverence. And I don't know what it was about this, and John doesn't tell us here, but there was something about what Mary said. Maybe it was the starkness of it. Maybe it was just hearing it again. But whatever it was, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The language is there that is, it's important. The words that are translated deeply moved comes from an ancient Greek word that describes a horse snorting. And when it's taken in this context, it implies that the Lord let out an involuntary gasp. One translator said it like this. He gave way to such distress of spirit that it made his body tremble. So here Jesus is experiencing this emotion and it literally takes his breath away and he makes some kind of noise. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. It's an interesting word that is used there. It does not mean wail. He wasn't crying like they were crying, crying, but it meant that tears literally ran down his face. I had one friend somewhere along in my journey that this was actually his favorite verse in the Bible. And the reason why was because of our next principle. This shows us that Jesus enters into our grief with us. There are lots of verses in the Bible that show Jesus' humanity on display. But I think this captures it deeply. And friends, this is important. Because if we're honest with this text and we wrestle with it a little bit, we look at this and we go, okay, so he allowed this thing to happen that he knew was going to crush them. But he allowed it anyway. And then when he gets up to do something about it, he still cries. It affects him that much. I think two things when I think about that juxtaposition in this passage. I think the first one is we will never fully know the mind of God. I mentioned that once. We'll talk about that again. You see that throughout the Bible. But then also, this concept of him entering into our grief with us is crystal clear, and it is so important for us to understand. Because there's going to be times that we don't get it. We don't get what Jesus is up to. We don't like what Jesus is up to. We rail against what Jesus is up to. And in the midst of all that, he still enters into our grief with us. If you're weeping, Jesus is weeping with you. Jesus wept. You know, we talk about that scripture a lot from the book of Hebrews, that he is not a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. This is yet another example of it. So friends, hear this encouragement tonight. When you hurt, your Savior hurts with you. Now, is it in a different way? Of course. Is he still God and is he still sovereign? Absolutely. But we don't need to minimize or miss what is happening here with this notion of grief. Thanks, my man. I think there's also a secondary application here as well. And this is for us as a church. And let me front load this by saying, I think by and large, God has been exceedingly kind to us in this particular department. And our church does this well. 
That's a bold thing for a pastor to say, but I really, I believe that much in the work of God in you guys that I'll tell any other pastor that. And that's the notion of entering into grief with others when they grieve. There have been some folks in the few years that Refuge has been up and running that have had some awful, awful things happen to them. And though we did not serve those people perfectly, that's impossible this side of heaven, you guys went out of your way and stepped up and sat with and served and cried and wept with them just like Jesus would have. And you honored the Lord in their Lazarus' dead moment. And I want to honor you guys for that. I want to encourage you guys in that. I want to say high five and keep going with that. Because Romans 12, 15 tells us to weep with those who weep. And we want to do that as Jesus did it. As he is the God of all comfort for us in the way that we can, as his hands and feet, so to speak, we want to be that for other people. So let's continue on. Let's go and do likewise. Now look at this in verse 36. It says this. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. So Some of them, at least, understand the greatness of what Jesus is displaying there. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And I think the principle here, this is a minor one, but it's worth pointing out, is there were almost always mixed responses to Jesus. I mean, you think about kind of like, the inappropriateness of the moment, this is not really the time to be doing public theology and making statements about Jesus. But guess what? It didn't stop these people. And it doesn't stop people today. Anytime something happens, there's always people saying things that they shouldn't say. And they're saying things here about Jesus. And I think just being aware of that and knowing that It will help us to not be surprised by it. And I think it will help us as we seek to do evangelism like David talked about yesterday. And as we seek to go out into the world and talk to people about Jesus. If we go into it knowing that some people are going to get it, some people are going to mock, some people are going to be indifferent. It helps. Because that way, even though we're saddened by poor responses, we shouldn't be shocked. Because even in the midst of Jesus physically being in front of them, this is still the kind of stuff that happens. But it doesn't derail him. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, and watch this, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. So now he's finally there in front of Miracle central. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Now listen, for those of us who are familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with the story of Jesus and what happens that we celebrate every Easter, don't think that this imagery and this language is coincidental. It's not. In fact, I think one of the key points from the end of the passage here is that the resurrection of Lazarus foreshadows Jesus' own resurrection and reveals his power over death. He's doing this miracle 
But he's also pointing to the even greater miracle that's about to come in just a few chapters. The cave, the stone, take away the stone. But I love the reality of this. Look at what Martha says. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. Now, there's a part of me that like the, the, the junior high Dustin that's still trapped in there that almost thinks this is a little bit funny. But in the moment, she was being as honest as she could be. Because again, think about this. You're in this... Palestinian climate gets hot, very hot sometimes. And Lazarus would have been in a tomb that the typical tomb in this days would have had eight occupants. It was a hollowed out room, perhaps in a hillside. There would have been three indentations on one side, three on the other, and then two at the end. It's possible that Lazarus's tomb could have already had seven other occupants in there in various degrees of disrepair. And so when Jesus is telling them, roll away the stone, there had to be people standing on the sides that even if they were optimistic that Jesus was about to pull us off, that were very concerned. You talk about high stakes poker. This was high stakes poker. If he couldn't do this, they could have tried to kill him right then. It was that kind of environment. But again, did it derail Jesus? Absolutely not. He's not afraid of any mummified corpses. He's not afraid of any odor. He's not afraid of death because he is the resurrection and the life. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So this harkens back to something we've seen. Feels like about 10 times in the book already. And that is the necessary connection that Jesus makes between himself and the Father. He is operating with the Father's authority. He is operating with the Father hearing him. And he's pointing this out yet again. And oh, friends, if we could have been there that day, if we could have been a fly on the proverbial wall to see what would happen, oh, it would have been something. Because here stands Jesus with the stakes not being able to be any higher. And he cried out with a loud voice. Verse 43 tells us, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Oh, friends, let's take this at face value and let's marvel. Let's be amazed. Jesus, who said he was the resurrection and the life, just put it on display. Now let's go a step further than that. This passage is about Jesus and Lazarus. But I can't read this and not think about what a picture of the gospel this is. It's not an allegory. 
But if you read this and you don't think about what Jesus has done for us, I think you're missing part of the, the juice on the stake here. Because are we not all Lazarus? Are we not all dead in our trespasses and sins? In the tomb, body already starting to stink. No one, no thing can help us. Too late for spiritual CPR. Too late for any kind of anything else. And it takes Jesus to come along and speak and bring us back to life. That's what it takes. But that's okay. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And friends, I think, among other things, this passage should give us great hope. It gives us a lot of good news about who Jesus is and what he's capable of. But this should also give us great personal hope. Because Jesus promises that one day he will physically bring our bodies to life as well. You think about this. Uh, there's several examples. First Thessalonians 4:14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again even though or even so though Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 1 Peter 1:3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he spiritually resurrects us, if you will, because of his resurrection. He physically will one day resurrect us because of his power of the resurrection. And then you think about the wonderful promise at the end of the book. Revelation 21, 4. The promise that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's true because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And him defeating death and resurrecting Lazarus is a foretaste of that reality that is to come. We serve a Savior that it is nothing for him. To bring the dead back to life. That's how strong he is. That's how good he is. That's how powerful he is. And that's how available he is to us. So let me wrap it up tonight by just asking a few questions. Number one, and most important, do you know this Jesus? I don't mean do you know facts about him. I don't mean did somebody else tell you about him. Do you have a personal relationship with this Jesus? Is he your resurrection and life? I know, friends, if you don't know or the answer is no, today you can. The Bible says now or today is the day of salvation. And in just a moment when the rest of us take communion, you hold off. But then you grab me in the back and let's talk about this. Let's talk about how you personally can meet Jesus tonight. Secondly, of all the things that we've talked about tonight, touched on a lot in a short amount of verses, everything from honesty to reverence to the difficulty of death to the power of Jesus over it. What is it that the Holy Spirit is applying to your heart tonight? Pay attention to that. Pray about that. Lean into that, not away from it. 
And then finally, will you exalt Jesus with me for the greatness of who he is and what he has done revealed to us in this passage? Friends, he is the resurrection and the life. Where do you need that most tonight? Wherever it is, let's go to the Lord now and pray. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you for your miracle working power. And we also thank you for this record of it. For the invitation to stand and to look into what only you can do. Lord, all of us know a taste of the kind of grief that's here. And we want to know a taste of the glory that's here, of the power that's here, of the resurrection and life that's here. Remind us of the greatness of who you are and what you've done. Speak to us through this word, through the table, through the songs, through our time together. And remind us of what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.